Hello and welcome to Avenger Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson, and uh, this week we're doing things a little differently. Um, unfortunately, thanks to a scheduling snafu, again, uh, <laughs> I wasn't able to sit down with Don this week, but we're uh, changing something up. So this week I have a special co-host, she's been on the episode before, my amazing wife, Jet. Hello. Uh, so... Um, we're just going to kind of do something differently. Jet's going to ask me a couple of different questions, and I'm going to attempt to respond to it, and uh, we'll see what happens. We didn't talk about this. I'm going to call it, Get to Know You're a Vanderbro. Oh, okay. Well, let's just jump right on in then. So, George. Yes. Should we start with a serious question or a fun question? Uh, you, you decide. Hmm. Um... What are three things that you are loving right now? Oh boy. Um, I'm reading a book right now uh, by Richard Rohr called The Universal Christ, which is, I'm really enjoying that. Um, why? Why? Uh, I like Richard Rohr's writings. He does, when he talks about um, spirituality, it's, you know, unlike some people that I normally read, and it's not like it's not something that uh, I spend a whole lot of time reading about. So I've always appreciated his thoughts on it. So I'm really enjoying that. Um, second thing I am loving right now, or really enjoying, is probably <laughs> any of the Star Wars comics that are coming out. Specifically. <laughs> um. There's a series called TIE Fighter uh, that I'm really enjoying. That's fun. And lastly, um, gardening. It's summer in Columbus. So we've been out in the yard a lot and, you know, digging up part of it to lay down some gravel. But yeah, those, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I've kind of taken over the mowing the last couple weeks. It is unfortunate. It's been cathartic. Yeah. It's quite enjoyable. I, I like the weather right now. It's been nice. What are three things that are irritating you right now? Um, <clears throat> the state of U.S. politics. Uh, Obviously. <laughs> um, what else is irritating me? I, I operate at a low level of irritation at all times, so it's hard to figure out just three. <laughs> um, second one would be climate change. <laughs> just generally speaking. Uh, oh, now, uh, let me speak a little broader. Anything that we have the ability to do something about that we're actively ignoring. Mm, mm, mm. Um, culturally and can, can you be a little more specific in your irritations? I mean, I feel like these are very broad categories. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, okay. Um, as much as I love the weather, my allergies are going crazy right now. There we go. So that's really irritating me. Um, I have to get an oil change in my car, and I hate any type of car maintenance. So that's also irritating. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little overweight right now, so sometimes I get a little uh, winded when I bend over to tie my shoes, and that's also irritating. It, it, it is. I agree. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I feel that. It's what slip-on shoes were made for. That's right. That's why I live in my Burks right now. <laughs> <laughs> you live in them anyway. Yes, sir. Let's get real. 
So, George. Yes. Tell me about um, a time when the church really helped you in your faith. Wow. Uh, probably one of the ones that comes to mind was is when I first became a Christian. I talked to uh, a youth pastor named Al Mellinger at Crossroads Community Church in Temperance, Michigan. And this was right before, like right right as I was kind of transitioning back into Christianity, and just his hearing about what you know. This is super evangelical, but every now and again it pops up, and it's just like that was a really nice experience uh, when he would just talk about grace and the you know even though i'm I, as i've grown more in my faith i have a different theological view than than the the free gift that costs nothing but just to hear that like i was a good person for the first time from somebody from a religious background mm. was very nice i think that oftentimes our spiritual experiences are not so much about the theology but about how they make us feel yeah I would agree. So I think that that's maybe what you're describing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. Like how how it made you feel when something went right in a church. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of experience that I have with that. So the ones <laughs> <laughs> like when the church is being the church, it's it, those are those moments definitely stand out. Um, so kind of leading into that, since you opened the door, mm-hmm. describe your path out of. Uh, the evangelical church and what that looks like for you. So this is something that I struggle with. I, uh, as many issues as I have right now with what's going on in, in the evangelical church, um, I'm hesitant to describe myself as post-evangelical or ex-evangelical. Or ex- Ex-evangelical? Yeah. Ex-evangelical? Um, Why? Because I I believe that it's worth redeeming. And I I can still operate in it without it being... You mean the concept of the evangelical church? Yes. The, yeah, the, is worth redeeming. Yes. Um, and I'm still able to operate in it without being um, harmed. Is that because of your gender oh well it's de- color, I have no privilege. doubt it's because of my privilege yeah absolutely like I'm not I am not being persecuted in any way shape or form within the evangelical church uh, I'm a cis heteronormative white man and I I benefit from it like I do it's shitty but I do and so um, you know for a long time and Obviously, you know this better than anybody. I spent a lot of time on the outskirts of the church because I didn't want to be a part of the hypocrisy of it anymore. And Yeah, so describe what took you out of it. Well, you know, being let go from my job, kind of... I don't even know if I can say that anymore. Like, it was a almost a mutual parting of ways, but I didn't really have control over it because I didn't control the budget. But then when they decided to raise funds to keep me on staff, we said no. So I feel like watching from the outside as someone who was close to you but not directly involved, 
um, in the discussions we had, um, it was becoming clear to us that your um, career in paid ministry, where your calling was meshing with finances, was coming to an end for a season. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. That's a great way to put it. So I had reached a part or a point where I couldn't stand um, my beliefs being tied up in our paycheck. Mm-hmm. And that was a real issue for for me and for us. And so... It was crippling for our convictions <clears throat> in some ways. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we were questioning and poking and prodding and uh, some of the things that we were talking about parts of the churches that we've been a part of not even just the last one that we were at together when I was on staff but in general weren't ready to you know to go and so like that loss of identity that loss of self because I tied up everything into my name's George and I'm a pastor so when I felt that perceived rejection of all of that I pushed back from evangelicalism I pushed back from it all because it wasn't worth it to me anymore. <clears throat> um, so, uh, I think the original question was, describe my post-evangelical path. Yeah, so describe what it looked like for you outside of the church. What those years away felt like and looked like. Oh, man. Um, they were bad. Like, they were, <clears throat> they were good years for personal growth in that... Um, you know, we made a lot of friends. We did stuff like, you know, the, the jobs that I worked were great because they helped me grow more as a person. Um, you know, it was a weird time of trying to figuring or figuring out, okay, well, what, what do we still believe? What do I still believe? Do I believe that there is a God? Can I, you know, walk through these doors of a church again and feel at home? So what did you do to sustain or reject spirituality during that time? I just ignored it. Honestly, um, there were a couple times that I prayed. Uh, There were a few times where, you know, I felt like those little nudges from God or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And it was like there was enough that, you know, whatever I was going through, and I can't remember if you or our friend Mitch coined this, but said that, you know, whatever's going on right now, God's big enough to handle all of that. So just get through it. And so it was like this sense of, you know, I felt like I was alone through a lot of it. <clears throat> but uh, it, I always knew that I could go back if I wanted to, which was a weird dichotomy to be at. How so? Well, just like, you know, if I want to go back, I can. Do I want to? Why would I want to? Um why uh you know it was like i was it's like i was it it felt like i had all of the cards and i had all of the sway but um i just kept hurting myself through it all and so it's like do i want to do this to myself again like i understand the risks of what made you feel so alone (laughs) um well, the we moved to a new city and state. That's part of it, mm-hmm. you know. So aside from you, I 
felt pretty much by myself. Um, you know, I didn't hear from my old friends anymore. And some of them, to their credit, reached out and I just didn't respond because, you know, I just needed to be a part of something different for a while. And so trying to figure out what that was, you know, I went through a lot of changes in identity and trying to fit. It's like I was I was trying on a bunch of different jackets that didn't work. So I'm sure some of it was by choice. Um, you know, there was a period of 18 months to almost two years that it was just total, as far as spirituality or Christianity goes, um, felt completely by ourselves. And then we started going to Mars and Kent's teachings. and. So was there a moment that snapped you back into believing or wanting to step back into the church? Or was it gradual for you? Describe that piece of it. Okay. Um, it was gradual. I always knew that when we left New Harvest that it was for a time. However long that time was going to be, no idea. Uh, and I got really depressed and I fed into this idea that I wasn't wanted in that area. As in ministry. Yeah, in ministry. Um, because I had a lot of doors shut in my face throughout my most of my professional ministry career. And so um, it was gradual. Like I, I missed the Eucharist. I missed Bible study. I missed some things. And I tried for a long time, even after we moved, to continue to do some of that stuff. But I just reached a point where I was exhausted and I couldn't do it anymore. And so, I mean, it was you that kept saying, hey, let's go to church this week and let's do this, let's do that. And so, you know, I don't think I was kicking and screaming when you were dragging me along, but, like, you played a huge part in that by making sure that we were still trying to not be hypocrites on things that we believed. And so the moment that was, like, the snapback, like, okay, well this calling of parachurch or church ministry, whatever that was, was the, the, Kent's last morning at Mars, which was awesome and super sad. And, you know, like everybody's crying around us. And uh, I just remember this uh, feeling. Urging. I, yeah, urging that um, was just like, this, you know, seeing somebody leave a church in a healthy way was something I had only seen once before. And so seeing it again at Mars with this scale of, like, this can be a good thing um, just really kind of spoke to me. And then this urging came, and it was, oh, man. Like, I always get freaked out when I hear people say, like, oh, God spoke to me, or I heard this word from God. Because on one hand, I really want to believe him. But on the other hand, I'm like, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> I sometimes feel like that has been purported in Christian culture and usurped and misused so many times that we feel we have to throw it out entirely because otherwise we get lumped into this whole faction of people who use it for their own good. Yeah, because, you know, a, a lot of times, I, I don't even know a lot of times, there are cases where it's like that's just, 
that voice that you're hearing is affirmation of the true thing that you want. And that, hey, that could be God. That could be just you finally being honest with yourself. I'm not going to yeah. say that. The last thing I wanted in this moment was to ever go back into ministry. I mean, for, let's see, this is 2016, I think, that that happened. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd told me for years that like, you know, oh, you're going to go back into ministry at some, or like, you know, that's, that's not done. And I kept saying, yes, it is. I wasted this time and money, whatever. And so I will never forget getting into the car in the parking lot and, uh, just saying, I just had this experience and I think I'm ready to go back into ministry and telling you was one of the most terrifying and also kind of funny moments of my life <laughs> just because you have this tone when i do something that you don't like like it's like really <laughs> that i can never recreate but it was it was that and yeah you said i told you so <laughs> and so yeah it was it was it was that it was kind of crazy but yeah i was clearly very kind you well yeah no you were it was super funny though mm. so from that moment, it sounds like you'd sort of gradually been feeling this, and then when it was Kent's last Sunday, you had this moment of realization, urging. Yeah, that I was, mean, that was confirming something that your heart was already open toward at that point. Well, no, I wasn't open towards it. Oh, okay. Anymore, I was not. I was like, I was still trying to figure out what to do next, and then I had that moment. It was like, holy shit what do I do with this now? Because I I just don't know what this looks like. I don't know I don't know what the next thing is. So what did you do with it? I sat on it for a long time and I talked to I sent an email out to um, Don talked to you, talked to our counselor and then our friend Mitch and Matt saying, hey look, I this things I feel this thing, I don't know what to think of it what are your thoughts? And that was pretty much it for then. And then I kind of sat on it, and a bunch of stuffs happened in our life in the last few years. And you know, there was a point where we were going to like where it looked like it was building towards a church plant, and then that didn't happen. So, so <clears throat> we had been part of Mars for yeah. a while, yes. Um, and so we weren't necessarily thinking about starting a church plant, but then our theology started to shift. So. Talk about when that happened and why. Okay. Um, why did why did our theology shift? Is that what you're... When in this part of the journey? Okay. Because it's sort of a leap to go from saying, hey, we're at Mars, things are going better, you have this idea, but, you know, and then the whole concept of, walking away from church connections, yeah. becoming part of a bigger body to start a church plant. Um, okay. Seems a little... Uh, Arrogant. Dis- no, it just seems uh, incongruent with what we're saying. Sure. So part of this, um, when we were when we were there, the new pastor came and some... Either they were becoming more honest about who they were always were and were building to be they as in the church the, yes they as in the church elders the people who were sure we'll, we'll just say uh mars as a whole whether or not 
scales were falling from our eyes and our idea of what this church was was inaccurate like there just came a point where you know and i'm i don't want to be too specific um but there just came a point where it's like okay well we we believe certain things that this church does not we can no longer accept eucharist here if our brothers and sisters of different walks are actually accepted and i will say that that was our perception um because nobody was ever super forward with us um so don had contacted us about potential church plant in our former city at one point and you know we were trying to figure out what what was next and it seemed <laughs> that the church plant seemed right in the spirit and so that was something that we were going to move forward and do not something super big but like a place for people to come and like question and struggle with this stuff together you know it was basically just going to be a glorified bible study so talk for a second go back a little bit in the story to sort of closing the arc with New Harvest and what happened oh. to rekindle. Oh, that. <laughs> okay, sorry. This experience. Now I get where you're. Okay, so um, a little more than two years ago, by the time that this podcast is released, uh, we got a message or a text message from our friend Sharon, <clears throat> who was uh, on staff with me at New Harvest, and so I'm going through and this. Has- had since by this point taken over as lead pastor yes, at New Harvest. Yes, at New Harvest, yes. So I had been sitting and trying to figure out what this you know, new thing in ministry looked like or whatever was next. She contacted us, said she was going to be out in Grand Rapids for a meeting, got together, and then she... Uh, no, she said, would you like to get together? I would like to get together. Okay. Do you want to tell us? Because you're probably better about this than I do. Well, we were just floored that yeah. she reached out to us because we hadn't heard from anyone other than Don on occasion by this point, and we had been gone for three and a half years. Yeah. And um, had sort of put the New Harvest chapter behind us and attempted to move on and find closure yep. and practice forgiveness. and and Still kind of a festering wound, though, for myself at that point. In whatever way we could find restoration we were trying yeah um but it's very very rare very rare that that churches come back and say um we want to talk to you about something and it's a good thing yeah and so when sharon contacted us we were very hesitant but we did decide to grab dinner yeah and i showed up or we showed up a little early and I had, you know, a little bit of liquid courage because I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And we were talking and Sharon's saying that the church is not doing well and they realize that their numbers are down, they're going to die and they want to die well. And so that's when she said how she talked to the congregation and said, you know, is since this is what's happening and she took time and went through all of the old um, elder board or elder meeting notes, and picked out a couple of people that... She didn't just pick them out. She came to the church and said, who do you feel we need to make amends with or offer apology toward? Yeah. 
and our names came up. And when she told us that, <laughs> I st I started crying. Like it was, it's still a super emotional thing for me because you know the church always talks about uh, repentance and forgiveness and all this other stuff that we just do not do ourselves. And so to actually experience that, um, you know, one of the greatest flub ups of my life in that moment uh, was, you know, I'll buy dinner if you can, if you let me come and preach on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and she took me up on that. Uh, yeah. So that was almost two years ago. It was. Yeah. And Not only did she take you up on that, but it was one of the very last services at New Harvest. It was the very last normal service, which was, when when figured that out, that was a little daunting. Cause the and church, humbling. Oh, extremely humbling. Um, yeah. And then when we showed up and all of the old faces, some that I'd forgotten about, this one who, oh, Judy, loved Judy to death. She pulled, she pulled me aside right before service and said, I don't know if you've felt it, but we've never stopped praying for you. Mm. <laughs> and that was that was insane. So it was like this this moment where it's like the, the church is actually being the church. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to figure out like what ministry looks like inside of all of this. And this is that time was around the same time that we reconnected with Don and Tana too. It was on the same trip. Yeah, it was. It was a really emotionally wrecked trip, but I will never forget coming back because, you know, we were looking out, you know, I'm like emotionally exhausted, so you were driving home, and like the grass was greener. All of the colors were brighter, and it just was super well. It was just like, this is one of those things where, again, it felt right in the spirit which I didn't know what to do with any of that because, you know, here I was, my, my new moniker was I am never going to have my beliefs wrapped up in my paycheck. And, but I'm thinking, well, back into ministry, so what does that look like? And I still haven't answered that question. <laughs> it's taken various forms over the years. Yeah, yeah, it has. Uh, I don't, so I don't know if that was what you were looking for. Was... Yeah, okay. I think that kind of gives us a good perspective on where you're coming from so what do you do now to sustain spirituality besides the Vanderbros I mean obviously aside from the Vanderbros um pardon me that's another good question uh you know we're part of a great community in Columbus we've got a great small group so that's nice um I do a lot of reading meditate on occasion uh you know, um, talk theology with random people. Uh, one of my favorite practices is still scribing the text. So just literally recopying it word for word and screwing up on every page. So I have to exit out. And the perfectionist one in me wants to throw out the book and start over again, <laughs> but I can't. Uh, yeah. Um, so what opportunities do you see for um, enhancing or improving your practices? Oh, man. I'm shit when it comes to prayer. <laughs> uh, I always have been. It's one of those things that I've never thought was very important um, because I just never really liked doing it. Not that it's not important. So I could always improve there. I mean, 
I think the thing that I really the thing that I still struggle with the most is uh, not so much the loving my neighbor but the as myself part because there are days that I just don't love myself and you know I think that the the text is so specific about that you know because human you know, human nature sometimes is to not love yourself and so if I'm loving my neighbor as I love myself then that means I actually have to find the goodness in me and recognize that well and we live in a culture that's built off of shaming people there are multi-million dollar industries built on this yeah you know, there's fat shaming, there's color shaming, there's in, income shaming. Yeah. Um, and so it becomes harder and harder, first of all, to love yourself because you're always striving to meet some unrealistic expectation and fulfill the American dream, which you may or may not actually even want if you're <laughs> yeah. honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, but then you're running countercultural, and that's hard too. And then to love other people with the same kind of love that's so flawed that you love yourself with it's challenging yeah it is um i mean i i could there are so many ways i could still improve uh, you know well what's one thing you want to do better we all have areas we can improve but what do you want to do better um one thing i would like to do better is unquestionably love people uh, <clears throat> you know I can easily look at somebody and have a you know a couple of hundred thoughts about who I think they are or tens of thoughts about who I think they are and building barriers in my head instead of just sitting there and saying listening to them and honoring them as a person I, that's one of the things that comes to mind. I'd also love to get back into composting. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. Nice, nice. So, what do you want to see with future directions for Evangibros? Oh, boy. Um, putting out new episodes on time and correctly. That would be great. <laughs> uh, These are strong goals. Yeah, that, well, I mean, clearly over the last three weeks. Um, I don't know. Always listener interaction. That's great. It'd be fun to actually do some live events um, and chat with people. Yeah. That's nice. about it. Yeah. Nice. Low hanging fruit, I think. <laughs> but, yeah. Very achievable goals. Here's hoping. Yeah. I'm three, so I'm all goal oriented. It's <laughs> kind of how this works for me. Yeah. So. On a lighter note, okay. If you had to choose three favorite TV show characters of all time, who would they be? Okay, three that I feel represent me no, on the in show, general. or just three favorites. In, in... Three favorites in general, okay. and then you can answer the represent you. Oh man, okay. Um, three favorite TV show characters. All mm -hmm. right, so I'm gonna say, um. The Doctor from Doctor Who. Do you have a specific one? I, yes, John Hurt's War Doctor is mm -hmm. my favorite, but mm -hmm. I'm cheating just by saying all of the doctors. Yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, so that's I'll one. I'll allow it. Thank you. 
Uh, number two is... Man, the pie maker from Pushing Daisies. Oh, okay. I love his the way that they play his neuroses. Um, and then... Bunk from The Wire. No, Omar from The Wire. Mm. Yeah. But she stands alone. Uh, as far as three that I feel represent me. Nick Miller from New Girl. Chandler from Friends. And... Ron Swanson. Those mm. are my usual go-tos. Those are your go-tos, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So... If you had to choose feet for hands or hands for feet, what would it be and why? Feet for hands or hands for feet? Uh, hands for feet. Why? Because I'd be able to climb better. <laughs> and what's better than four opposable thumbs? I was going to say four opposable thumbs. Yeah. You can open anything. I could open four things at one time. It's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, unquestionably, <laughs> I think that makes sense to me. Yeah. It would make mowing our lawn a lot easier. It would, yes. I, I don't disagree. Okay, I have another question for yeah. you. Are you ready? I think so. If you could choose one person in recent years, as in the last 10 years, that you feel best represents Jesus with skin on, who would it be and why? Well, um, oh, that's a tough question. I know. I have someone in mind. But. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the New York Times just did their daily episode on Bridget Held Evans and how she crossed barriers. I think that, that she did a pretty good job. Um, but I don't, man, I don't know. Um, let's see. Probably... Yeah, I don't know if I have an answer to that. Mm. I mean, that's such a, and it's not like because it's, you know it's not because it's Jesus. <laughs> it's like who who do I know that shows love, um, you know, freely? Who holds people to task? Uh, who brings new light to? old things you know it's a large encompassing question and i'm probably overthinking it probably i don't know but i'm going to start looking for that now what about you so i struggle because rachel has been in the media a lot in recent memory and um her death was um, effective for so many individuals. We all felt this collective light grow dimmer in the world when we lost her because um, she was a revolutionary. She loved people for who they were. She used her status and privilege to help elevate others yeah. in every opportunity. Um, and if you haven't listened to the daily podcast about it, Austin Channing Brown is phenomenal. Matthew Vines is also. Mm-hmm. And um, she used her platform to challenge and also to love. And um, I think she was human in that, you know, she talks about the office in her books and <laughs> yeah. tells funny stories about 
growing up and her her own fears and struggles while at the same time keeping the bigger picture of this message of Christ and who he is and what God really meant with this thing we call the Bible and what it means for us to live in a way that um, that Christianity should look like and how very revolutionary the act is in and of itself to say uh, doubt is part of faith. Yeah. Um, I think that Richard Rohr is another figure that I would consider probably pretty up there. Um, I think that we have um, a new generation of leaders who are coming up behind us, especially those who are um, some of our school shooting victim survivors who are now advocating. Um, Trans and LGBTQIA folk who are... um, stepping out and being vulnerable and um, putting their own livelihoods and reputations on the line and giving up the uh, the safety of secrecy and privacy for others. Um, and, and they're giving up that right to be unknown in order to um, ensure that everyone can have the rights that they deserve, that they so deserve as humans. Um, and that's probably a little bit of a cop-out answer because I, you know, I'm not naming specific names. But um, I think it's probably a, a fun thing to think about and probably something we could think about identifying. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I think that the person who is operating from the margins, the person that you least expect, um, who always uses their power whatever status they have to elevate others and to leverage against the machine that purports oppression, that's who we need to look for. Yeah. I, I agree. Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the wife. I can say that. That's true. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's our son. Yep. Um, well, I think that that's a good place to stop unless you have any other questions always think of questions but can the listeners keep listening i mean dunn's not here so probably not i when they found out it was probably just a mostly me episode they left a while ago <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know we've just been recording a normal conversation for us yeah it is uh well this week i have been your co-host george um if you have a moment please stop by wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rate and review five stars is really all that matters because of the algorithm but uh whatever and uh you know facebook twitter instagram patreon we're at evangel bros and shoot us an email if you have any questions evangel bros at gmail.com like i said i've been your co-host george this week i'm jet have a great week everyone